Would you get thrown into the fire? Hi, my name is Mike, and this is the Open End Podcast. I've been a Christian for about 20 years. For about the last 12, I've really been trying to intentionally study more about the Bible. Yeah, and I'm Meg. I'm Mike's co-host. I've been a Christian for about four years, and I attend Faith Center here in Eureka, California. Um, This is the Open Ended Podcast, like he said, and we have uh, a great special guest today who spoke last weekend, and her name is Pastor Kathleen Parks. Hello, that is me. I am Kathleen Parks, and um, I've been a believer now for 30, almost 33 years. It'll be 33 years next month, actually. Um, And I have been serving in the church in some capacity for about 32 and a half of those. And I have been an ordained, licensed, and then ordained minister for about 15 years. So yeah. Nice. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Love to have you. So... Uh, you need to kind of, my OD, my OCD brain needs a little clarification. Okay. Last week we talked Daniel 4. This week we went to Daniel 3. What happened? Why did we go backwards? <laughs> because we wanted to. Okay. That is just why. Because right, so. really, because what we're, each one really focuses on a different theme. Mm-hmm. And we really liked for this week, the, the, the theme for this week that we really talked about was standing firm, um, standing firm in a changing culture changing political environment, changing social environment, and then how to do that in love. And and those are two things that are pretty near and dear to my heart, and I was on the calendar for this weekend. So voila, there you go. All right, sounds good. Thanks for clarifying that. My mm-hmm. OCD brain just needs to categorize it because that was the first note I made <laughs> on the That is funny because I would have never even noticed that. Really? I'd be like, oh, cool, we're in Daniel 3, let's nice. go. I wouldn't no. have even thought about it. I'm very linear in these ways. Okay, so you want to give us a quick little recap about what your message was? I mean, really, it's talking through um, the experience of, and I like to, let me just say, I like to say the experience of, because I think a lot of times when we say the story of, it just, it can get in people's minds of, it's a story and not a true experience. It's a historical experience that happened to real people in real life. And so the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, when they are being told that they have to bow down to this giant, ridiculous 90 foot statue of King Nebuchadnezzar and, um, and that they have to worship that statue and, and them being able to stand on, I can't do that. You know, I, I only bow down to my father, God period. And, and they did it. They really did it with love and respect. And in, even in one of the scriptures, you see that they referred to the king as sir. I'm sorry, sir. I mean, they were being very respectful. And so and so, standing firm, of course, is hugely important, but doing so in love is the only way that your standing is going to make a difference at all. Um, we, we tend to live in a society that's pretty contentious and so, and, and is becoming more and more, if you're not with me, you're against me. Right. And, um, and so, I think it shuts people down really, really fast. Like just because I don't agree with you means that that's it. I'm out or you're or whatever it is. But, but those contentious arguments and divisions will never win somebody over or even cause them to even consider your viewpoint. You're, they're going to shut you off immediately. Um, but standing firm in love is completely different and it's received very differently. And so it's really learning from these guys what that means. So true. And I love the message and I can't help. Well, first 
how did you feel about the message, Meg? What, what resonated with you in the message? Um, what I really caught myself thinking about during the message was this topic of in culture right now, it's either you're with me or you're against me. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of like, in a way I've heard someone say that before. I've heard God say that before. If you're not with me, you're either against me or you're lukewarm. And if you're lukewarm, I'm spitting Spitchy. you out. Yeah. So the, I just kept catching my attention on there's actually only one person who can say that. And it's God. And it we don't have the power to really say, to decide for someone else because mm -hmm. we don't know their heart the way that God knows my heart. God can say to me, mm -hmm. you're with me or you're against me or you're lukewarm and I'm spitting you out anyway. Um, and it kind of made me really think about my actions. Am I doing things that show God? I am so for you. I'm not just standing in the middle, wandering around or kind of teetering or changing my mind when I'm around certain people. Am I for you all the time? Um, and it made me question that. So I, that's what I liked that it brought out for me mm -hmm. in a life application way. I'm not worried that I'm going to get thrown into a furnace, but I do have this, you know, I'm, I'm, I get to think about my future, my eternal future with God. And in a way, I feel like that's almost as serious as, or it could be even more serious than getting thrown into a furnace. You know, my king told me, you need to bow to me. Mm -hmm in a really similar way that Nebuchadnezzar told them, you have to bow to me, except that he wasn't God. And my God tells me that. And I say, mm. yes, I will. And you're the only one I'm going to bow to. There's a lot of connections. I could keep going on that, but. But I think it's interesting because you just hit on something that is, that is really Western world, mm. wonderful things that we enjoy, which is the freedom to still worship as we want, because there are people yeah. across the globe that maybe aren't worried about getting thrown into a furnace, but being killed for their faith. Totally. There are still people being killed for their faith in, in droves. We just, um, Joe and I just went to a conference with other Foursquare pastors a couple weeks ago. And um, one of the topics that came up is just how um, intense the persecution is in Nigeria right now. Mm -hmm. And um, and I had a pastor friend of mine that had gone over to Nigeria at one point, and he got to... Um, talked to some other pastors. It was in a conference thing that they were doing or whatever, a training. I believe they were doing a training. And this particular pastor said that there was one Sunday that as his congregate, congregants were leaving the church, there were people outside with machetes and many of Whoa. them were killed on spot, just Jeez. on spot. So we're not worried about that in the Western world, no. but it is still going on globally for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point that you bring up. I, me saying I'm not worried about getting thrown into a furnace is so, is so American. It's a privilege. Because that it's is. so Western of me in general. You're so right that I don't even think about that. I'm not worried about being right. prosecuted in that way or have my life in danger over what I believe in. Well, and what is, what's so silly, <laughs> the perspective of that is then the persecution that we would be used to more here is more you know, oh, you're holier than thou, mm -hmm. or, you know, oh, it's the church lady, you know, when right. we don't want people, we're like, oh, what are they going to think of me? Mm -hmm. Who cares? I, I mean, it's also really, fun. who cares? It's, it's not actually threatening. It's only, the only thing it threatens is our um, cultural image or relevance to like mainstream. Right. But yeah. So there, I have two thoughts and I promise to remember the second thought because I <laughs> forgot the second thought last episode. Oh, yeah. But that is so crazy to me that people are being killed for their faith. Why do you, Why are they being killed for their faith over there? Is it because 
they are they are challenging the other faiths that are over there. Why is Christianity so feared? I mean, I think I could go into intellectual thoughts on that, logical reasons on that, but I think truly the bottom line is the scripture says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Um, Because you look at every other religion and while they all face their own types of persecution, it is, it is Christianity and and Judaism that are attacked most fervently. Mm. That is, I believe that is a spiritual indication that shows you that this God that we are serving is the one true and living God. And there is an enemy who is passionate about destroying him and the way that you destroy him is to go after what he loves the most, and that is us. Right. And so I, I just believe that there, there is a spiritual element that lends toward the way that people who are given over to hatred and evil, there's a spiritual element there that almost beckons them to a disdain for for the things of the true living God. Wow. And that and that's why those attacks are so much more prevalent um in the Christian faith and in the Jewish faith. It in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. True. And I no, you want to do your second thought? No, go ahead, <laughs> Meg. If you remember that is a spiritual perspective that I love hearing. And there's also a worldly perspective. And I think me only being Christian for the last four years. I still so easily remember what my life was like pre being saved. Mm-hmm. And I was someone who looked up as Christians as a threat to me because back on the abortion topic, Christians believe in things that the world wants to keep. So if is a Christian going to get between me yeah. and the ability to have an abortion? Is a Christian going to get mm-hmm. in the way of me and being able to marry whoever I want if I'm not in a heterosexual relationship? Is a Christian getting, you know, are these values going to take away my mm-hmm. American rights? That is something. My individual freedoms. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. is the worldly take on, I think, why some people, I think this is also very American, though, because this is in the context of living in a free country where the government has given me the right to do whatever I want. And as a Christian, I choose to opt out of things that I could totally do and never get in trouble for. Um but I mean, so globally, those contexts are going to be different, but I can remember why Christianity would be a threat to me, not to the point where I'm going to threaten someone's yeah. life over it, but mm. it was a, I thought I might be in danger of, they're going to strip me of my rights because the politicians are going to believe in these Christian values and I'm not going to be able to live the way that I want to mm. live. Did you feel Very like arrogant. it was more like, um, more like Christians were against you instead of being for yes something totally. that was outside of you? Totally. Okay. And I think that's how a, we are as Christians, I think, seen this way by and large is that we're not seen for who we believe in, who we serve, the good and amazing God that we know. We are seen, and I think it's because a lot of Christians carry this out this way, as people who view ourselves in the seat of judgment that we are to carry out these values in other people's lives um, versus standing in love and being an example for people to see that 
I'm going to choose the Christian values that I know are in the Bible and other people, I'm not in charge of them. And if I watched someone go into an abortion clinic and came out, I am not judging them. I don't know. I have my own opinion. I know what I would do if I was in that situation. Mm -hmm. I have all of that down, but to another person, am I going to make them feel like they're not worthy of God's love because of that? No, no. Cause that didn't make them unworthy of God's love, whatever the choice was, whatever the circumstances are. But that is, I think how we get seen is threatening to people's freedom. Well, I think, and I know that you have a second question. I want to get to that, but no, we want to go deep, but I think too, it is, it's where we have evolved to in the conversation somewhere along the line, there stopped being conversations that were respectful and, you know, and, and, and relevant to the current topics somewhere along the line, it turned into this group is going to protest. And then this group is going to go out there and yell at them that they're protesting. And then this, you know, and then this group is going to say they want to do this and they're going to hold up signs that, you know, repent or go to hell and these guys are going to throw up signs that says see you there you know whatever it might be i mean (laughs) you know the 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 discourse has changed so much along along the way and i and i think it's changed even more as we have become a society that let's face it we are to one level or another we all have some sort of connection or addiction to social media and social media really at the bottom line of social media, social media says you get to say whatever you want, whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like people get in their cars and they road rage in their cars and they say things and they do things they would never do if they were talking to somebody face to face, but they'll do it in their cars and people will do the same things in social media. Oh, and yeah. so it's created this culture that says it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about what you're saying. What you have to say is super, super important. And you, by golly, are mm-hmm. going to say it. And people, by golly, are going to listen. And if they don't, then I'm going to ghost them or I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, you know, blow them up on, you know, on all the comments. And I'm going to do all these. It's just, it has, it has become, again, I, I guess my word again is so contentious mm-hmm. to share opposing opinions on all things, on religion on politics, on race, on ethnicity, where we got to the place where we could not have loving, kind, and intellectual discourse on those things. It's, it's maddening to me. It's maddening to me because that's where I think different groups get identified with different things. And unfortunately, as with all things, it's it's not the mainstream Christians that are usually out there like with the signs and you're all going out. It's the really extreme and and quite frankly unhealthy. Um, that's not a healthy way to communicate to people. It's not a godly or biblical way to no. communicate to, with people. It's not. That is not no. godly no. at all. I didn't see Jesus do that ever. No. The only person I ever saw Jesus get upset with was the religious leaders. He never got upset with anybody else. This is not right. biblical. Um, and But the rest of the the um, of us believers get, get thrown in with this bag of, these extremists that are behaving and speaking and treating people in a way that most of us would never, ever do. So, okay. My Second question. We're on the edge of our seats. The <laughs> listeners, if you remember, <laughs> does he remember? Point number two. No, we got Did into that. Remember? And I love that because that's, 
That's why Meg and I wanted to do this podcast is because we want to have this open dialogue back again. And, you know, our, our country was founded on liberals and Democrats, right? But we used to talk to each other. We used to have opposing opinions, but we used to be able to talk to each other because we offset each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we were left and we were right. And that's the way our brains are for some reason. But we, those two used to be able to come together and talk about why left was left and why right was right. Mm -hmm. Their opinions were left and why their opinions Mm -hmm. were right. And then they were able to come to a common ground and be like, oh man, maybe my idea isn't perfect. So I love the fact that, that you're talking about um, coming back with each other and giving each other's opinions because you're right. Trolls or social media trolls were just, it's my way or you're wrong, right? Yes. It's not, not true. But so, so many things that you guys touched on. I'm I'm like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. (laughs) There's so much that I want to talk about. Point number two was, this is what I love about the way that God speaks to each individual person, because I think you two were on the same point when you were given the recap of what you heard in the message. Mm -hmm. But see, I heard a completely different message on Sunday. Well, it wasn't completely different, but what I heard, and I've listened to your message twice now, because I'm a good, I'm a good host and I, <laughs> and I do my research. <laughs> so what I heard and what I thought about was Columbine and one of the girls in, and it's choking me up, just even talking about it, but it was such a tra- tragic event. But one of the girls, uh, you know, she had the gun pointed in her face and he said, he said something like denounce Jesus or something like that. And she in said, the, I think she was in the library. Yeah. I think, yes. Mm-hmm. And he ended up shooting her. And it that resonated with the story to me because it's like, would mm. would I jump in the fire for Jesus? And you really put it into a great context. I think it was the best line that you said in the message was, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go see Jesus, yeah. right? Oh, the win-win. You're yeah. in a win-win. It's a win-win yeah. situation. Yeah. Or if I don't, Jesus is going to save me. And then it's going to be, you know, what exactly what happened in the story. Yeah. Well, because the, I mean, it's so interesting there because that came off of what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, which was my God will rescue me. Right. But even if he doesn't, and that's where the win-win comes in, right? It's a win-win. He's either going to rescue me now. He's going to save my life now, or he's going to save my eternal life. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go be with him. This is a win-win situation. I can't lose by staying faithful to God. Yeah. Period. I can't lose. That's a win situation. Win-win. Yeah. It really is. So we started diving into the message quite a bit, but you said a lot of stuff in the beginning. Sorry. You stepped on a lot of toes. I know. And it was good. It was good. I did. Oh, during the message. I thought you were saying just now. I was like, what toe did I just step <laughs> no, on? No. I do. Okay. No. In your message. Uh, one was that filet mignon needs to be cooked well oh done. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no. Oh, you think it should no, be made well done? No, no, no. no he thinks said, it needs to be made well done. And that, that? that oh, is gosh. a travesty. <laughs> that is a travesty to a good steak, especially for a Texas chick. I'm just telling you it's wrong in every way, shape and form. So go ahead. So people are really confused right now. But if you go in the comment sections, we're linking Pastor Kathleen's uh, message that we're talking about today so you can watch it. And she said that uh, a filet mignon needs to be rare bloody and i said well done in the service i said medium rare okay just for context. whatever it was well that was just one of the controversial things that you had talked <laughs> talked about 
there was quite a few. And, 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 and just so you know, I told everybody, I'm going to step on some toes today. Yeah. But, but I'm not going to step on toes just because I want to be controversial. I'm going to step on toes because I'm going to stand firm on things that I see are biblical. If we're talking about standing firm, it's easy to stand firm when it's an easy standard or con. I mean, it's easy. You know, everybody likes red. Every, if you like red, everybody stand together. Woo. We all like red. Yeah. That's great. That's easy to stand firm on the places where it's hard to stand firm is when you're going against culture, you're going counter culture. Mm-hmm. And so I, I cited some of those things in the course of that conversation. Um, I touched a little bit on abortion. Um, I touched a little bit on, um, um, sexual relations before marriage. I touched on um, living together um, before getting married. So, I yeah, I'm sure that there were some people that were like, "Dang, hey, girl, what?" I'm sure that there were. But but here's the deal, because we haven't spoke. I'm sorry, but because we have we we as an American culture, but I, I would say even globally have been avoiding these subjects for so long because we don't want to stir the pot and we don't want anybody to get mad and, you know, don't want to offend or do any of those that we won't want to look like we're judging anything. So we have avoided some of these topics for so long that our younger generation literally doesn't know that the Bible says anything about them. That is not okay. Yeah. That is not okay. And uh, I, I know that at one point, I, um, at a church that I was at previously, I, Joe and I worked with the youth group for quite a, quite a bit. And I had a young lady that, I mean, she had just graduated high school and she was dating a young man that was about to be a senior in high school and they'd been dating for a while. And I will say this fast, I'm so sorry, but, um, but this is gonna make my point. And, and I'm standing there as her pastor, we're standing in the church and just talking about, you know, what are you doing for the summer? You know, and I said, well, what are, what are the plans? And so she said, well, next year I'm going to do da 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 And then when my boyfriend graduates this time next year, we're, we're planning on moving in together and we're going to get, and she's just, she's talking about this yeah. like it's totally normal. And I'm standing uh-huh. there going and I'm, and I'm saying to myself, I, I have been her youth pastor, Joe and I have been her youth pastor for, for a year now. Have we never talked about this? She, to in her mind, it was so. It it was so okay. There was nothing. There was nothing in biblical standard about it that would make her pause yeah. to not tell your pastor. Yeah. I'm moving in with my boyfriend when I'm 19 and he's 18. Mm-hmm. And I go, <laughs> I go, no, you're not. And she goes, what? And I go, you are not doing yeah. that. And she goes, why am I not doing that? I go, babe, do you know that the Bible speaks to to this issue? That there there is biblical standard on this issue? And she goes, no. What are you talking about? And so it opened up this whole conversation, and it made me go home and go. I I think we're failing as pastors, not just Joe and I, but I think as a whole, I think we're failing as pastors. We're not talking about these things anymore because. Somewhere along the lines, we became more afraid of offending someone than we became afraid of not defending our God and his standards. So it's a deal. It's a deal. Yeah. You know, so you touched on both of them. Uh, Abortion, when I was about to bring it up, I, I didn't really know where to go with it, but I think I think you're really defined it because Meg and I actually had a conversation about it before we started recording. 
And for me, and she brought up a good point that I didn't even think about. I was telling her my ideas about what I was going to say on the podcast on this episode. And she's like, and cause I was wondering what line we shouldn't cross, how far should we shouldn't go? And she's like, it's the open ended podcast. We're going to go as deep as you know, we want mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. but she brought up the point that a lot of people are going to take it as you're a man. You have no right to have an opinion about abortion. I totally disagree. Yeah. Uh, keep saying that, but I it, keep saying what you're saying, but I totally disagree, but I'll tell you why in just a second here. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Cause And I'll tell you why, because, you know, I I have a 30 year old, he's turning 30 this month. And back when she got pregnant, when we realized that she got pregnant, I was 19 years old and, and somebody offered for us to have an abortion because of that. And so for you, for people to say that a man doesn't have the right to make the choice, Casey is as much mine as he was his mom. There it is. You know what I mean? 100%. of course, I didn't have to carry it. I wasn't a deadbeat dad. I didn't leave her. I didn't do any of that stuff. I stuck around. Yeah. And so I don't, God's really given me the discernment that not to tell my views about how I feel about abortion, what I think is right or wrong or whatever it is. But I do think that it it, it is a, a topic that we don't talk about, you know, and I'm glad that you brought it. And I don't know why I'm getting so emotional about it. It's so weird. I, I look at you and you guys mm-hmm. look... Uh, Mama Kathleen, getting choked up. Um, been a long week, I guess, but these these are topics that are near and dear to my heart. So, well, and it's an example of what there are things I think in this topic of standing firm that we might not know what's the boundary for who, and that's the conversation we we're having before. Is you know, I said that's up to you. You say what you what you want to say, but. There might be some people who think this, but you say what Mm -hmm. you want to say, because if it's biblical, you get to stand by that. You're a Christian person. And if you believe in the Bible, it's not even you going out of bounds to say what a woman should or shouldn't do with her body. You're just standing by what the Bible says. It's less about your opinion. um, And Mm -hmm. that's a nice thing to take out of it that Mm -hmm. I think makes it easier to stand firm on something is it's not even my opinion. But if God said it, I don't have to like agree with it or my opinion doesn't have to be that. Uh, I don't know about that. He said it. I'm going, I'm, he yeah. said it. I believe that that's the right thing to do. Then I'm going to, and I think that's where you are with it. It's not like you're trying to tell a woman what she should or shouldn't do. You're standing yeah. firm in what the Bible says about, about it. Yeah, I am. And uh, you know what I'm getting tripped up about? Maybe we can have this conversation that the three of us is so what my belief is, is that if the mom's given birth and she's, it's, it's a choice between the mom or the baby, you know, my own personal belief is that, you know, you save the mom, right? So that'd be my only course of abortion being all right in my brain. There's another one that I'm trying to work out with God and I won't bring it up on this podcast, but the Bible says don't kill, but then it goes back to my, to me thinking about it. And then there's certain religious organizations that don't take any medicines. They don't go see doctors and like it, it's kind of goes back to that story about God coming and saving you with a boat and a helicopter and everything else. It's like, God's given us this knowledge to be so medically advanced these days that I don't think that we have to make those choices anymore. Back then it was, they didn't have any options. It was, oh, you mean whether or not it, 
we're going to choose the life of the baby or the yeah. life of the mom during pregnancy, right. during pregnancy Can- and given during, during birth. So I think now we have those options and medically we have the, the options to be able to save, you know, one or both of them. Mm-hmm. So with that, I guess I'll stop there. And what, how do you guys feel about the comment that I just made? You know, like with the religious organizations that don't have any medicines, they don't get to see doctors or anything on that topic. Well, or I, nothing too. If you don't have anything to say, no, that's fine. I, um, I think you're right. We're in a different place medically than, you know, we've been historically in, in the past. And, and usually doctors have the resources to save both, both baby and mom. What's funny is, is I think most men would agree with you that you, if there, if there has to be a choice, take the baby. Mm-hmm. And most women would, would say, no, take the mom. And, and I, I mean, every, almost every woman and man that I have talked to on this subject would like is divided down that line. Mm-hmm. And, but I think there's something about that with, with, to be fair, yes, that I think that a man has every right to, um, to speak into and to have a desire as to whether or not they want a woman to have an abortion. It is 50% their baby. So men should be able to speak. I think it's totally unfair that there is a um, a presumption that men should just right. be quiet and sit down it's and let me and let me do this, it's make this decision. Idea. Oh, right it's, now. it's and culture huge. is that men have nothing. That men are dirt. Nothing. You don't wow. get to say anything. I see it everywhere. Every all where, oh, we could talk about media. that all day. We can oh do another gosh. podcast on that. I was. I will go there with you. That I like this podcast is something that now even this topic it gets me kind of riled up because I get so irritated seeing all this bashing of men all the time by women who one aren't men. So if you're going to be arguing that like, well, you're not a woman, you don't know what I'm talking about, then I'm a woman and I don't know what I'm talking about. If I'm talking about a man, you can't say that all men are trash and all men are this and that. Oh, it just bugs me so much. And it is so against, that's another thing to stand firm on because it is so against the Bible to say that a whole Gender. Gender is trash or that it, that they like, oh, it gets yeah. me so upset. God designed both man and woman. Yeah. And we bring amazing, totally different things to the table and we need each other. We need 100%. our men. Like we need them. So it really just frustrates me, this whole like we don't need men. If men could just fall off the face of the earth, all this messaging, just like, are you wow. kidding yeah. me? Imagine a world with only woman, women. God didn't design that. Yeah. So no. I don't want it. And I've worked in offices with only women. It's not great. I'm just saying yeah. <laughs> there needs to be, there always needs to be a balance. There yeah. always needs to be a balance. But that, I mean, I'm kind of joking about that, but yeah. not so much. Um, but I think that men definitely uh, have a right to that. The, the, the women saying, you know, it's, it's my body. Here, here's where I go with that. Okay. It was your body to decide what you were going to do with it when this child was conceived. But now there's another body that is a part of this. When does that body have the same rights that your body does? Because you made a choice with your body. Statistically speaking, that woman made a choice with her body that most people make before they Mm -hmm. get married. Let's be honest. These Mm -hmm. are statistics. But now it's about another body. Yeah. There is another body. And why does that body not have the same autonomy and value as 
as the woman? And then why does the body of the man who also contributed to that pregnancy also not have the same autonomy and value? I just, it's, it's pretty insane to me to think about it. But what you said earlier, uh, Meg, you were saying it's not necessarily about my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just heard a little blurb recently that talked about when, when Paul said, Paul said in, I want to say it was one of the letters. It was something. It was in the Bible. It was something in the Bible. <laughs> and he said, um, I know nothing but Christ Jesus and Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. I know nothing else. And so, mm-hmm. and so that lends toward the, what, what ideologies did I grow up with, with friends around me? What was I taught by my family? What are some of my own opinions? Just because I've in my observation of the world, there comes a point where, where a Christ follower, if you are following Christ, it's, it's like follow the leader. He turns left, you turn left. He takes a jump, you take a jump. He, he says, stop, you stop. And there's nobody's in the line playing follow the leader, going, wait a minute, I wanted to go left. I wanted mm-hmm. to go left up there. Hey, we're going left. That's not how the game is played. Yeah. So if I'm following the leader, my leader is is God. Mm-hmm. So I follow the leader and my opinion of whether or not I want to turn left or turn right or do hopscotch, I submit, I submit my oh, own intellect and my own opinion to the authority of God and his word. And even if I don't understand it, and this is one of the things I said in the message was, before I was a Christian, my views of abortion were a little bit different than they are now. But then I started reading in the Bible and I'm like, oh, we are formed in the womb and we are knitted together. I think you said that, mm-hmm. that we are knitted together in our mother's womb. This is this is literally the hand of God forming us in our mother's womb, which is why nobody yeah. can tell me it, but there's not a heartbeat yet. And there's not, no, yeah. we are being formed. We are being formed. And so, um, before I became a Christian, my views were, were a little yeah. bit different. Mm-hmm. I was divided on some areas, but then when I read those passages that said, you know, that we were formed and we were knitted and I read those, I was like, okay. And I, and I said, God, you know, there's some areas where I, I don't know what I think about that. I mean, I think as a whole, I'm actually, I'm absolutely pro-life and I, and I would hate for somebody to get, but, but there's circumstances, but then I had to say, but if we're formed and we're knitted, how can I stop that life? And so I was like, okay, God, you know what? I don't necessarily understand it all, but I'm going to submit to your authority. And this is, this is my stand, right? This is my stand that I'm going to take period, no matter what, I will take a stand to be pro the life that you are literally forming in that mother's womb. I will take that stand. And, and what I'm going to ask of you, God is in the areas that I, I maybe reverently would say, I don't necessarily agree. Help me to understand, help me to understand what your heart thinks about that. Where is the heart of God on that issue? Because I want to know and I want to understand and I want to align with what I see is biblical standard, which means that's part of your character. I want to discover your character in that. So help me God to do that. Mm -hmm. That's the take I've taken over the years on many, many things when I've realized my opinion does not align with what's in scripture. That's good that you say that because I think that, that, and I think that's where you see the hesitant and the lack of confidence in my own, uh, 
talking about this topic is because, you know, I've read through the Bible three or four times all the way through this time that I'm reading through the Bible for some reason, it's like my arms, my heart, my brain, everything is just wide open. And it's mm-hmm. just like flowing inside mm-hmm. of me. And I'm picking up all this stuff that I never picked up before. And it's amazing. I love it. It's like filling me up. And that's where my lack of confidence is because, you know, I'm in the Old Testament right now, getting into the New Testament. And it's it's like I'm still picking up these pieces that Jesus is telling me what to do. And it's super confusing because the Old Testament is so weird and they have so many different things. I'm like, we don't do that. Why are we telling people to do that? And then I have to realize that there was a New Testament and New Covenant that came out. So keep going back and forth. Um, One of the biggest examples of standing firm that I've ever seen in my life was from my husband, Luis. And before we got baptized, we still, we both had just recently kind of started seeking out the word and were like thinking about going to a church. Um, and at that same time that that was all happening, I felt like we, you know, we were getting pretty serious and I really, really wanted us to kind of get the show on the road. And I was like, I think it's about time for us to move in together. And Luis, not for a second, did he even think about it? Mm -hmm. He read in God's word that it was that he's just like, you know, I'm not super clear on it. So we're not doing it because Mm. I'm not super sure, but it seems like we shouldn't. So I'm, we're not doing it. And I pestered and pestered (laughs) and read I studied and I looked it up and I was finding all these ways to be like, it's really not clear. So you can't say that this is what it says because it doesn't like, it doesn't say two people cannot live. And I went in all these circles. I said, I found the thing where it says that you just can't share a marriage bed. Well, I said, honey, that's metaphorical for when you have sex, you make it the marriage bed, a regular bed that you don't have sex. in is just a bed and a marriage bed is what married people do. We won't do any of that. We're just going to live together and get married some other time later down the road. And he just was like, I'm not doing it. And at the time, I mean, we were full, other than him standing firm on that, we were living like we were not Christians in every way, in every single way that there was. And at that point, as soon as I started bringing up, you know, we're always together. We're always at each other's houses. We're sleeping over at each other's houses every night. We should just move in together. And that's what spurred him. You know what? No, because I've known this whole time that we weren't really supposed to even be doing this. Mm. And so, no. And it was at that point that he drew the line and we gave our relationship over to the Lord, stopped doing what we were doing, stopped having sleepovers. Um, I mean, we just turned it all around and it frustrated me so much. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if we can be together because you obviously don't want to live with me and all of these things. Cause I didn't have those values and I felt so rejected by that. I'm also recovering codependent and that just crushed me that he didn't want to do that. So that was one way. And another way that was much more recent in our married life on this topic of like saving the mom or saving the baby. I hope I don't cry now. Um, I have some reproductive problems and, um, we're kind of in the works of trying to see down the road if we can have a biological baby. And I get all of these things in my head about like, what if 
I am able to get pregnant. And then something crazy happens and the doctor asks you, you have to choose one, save mom or save baby. And you have to choose who are you going to choose? And his like gut reaction was to say baby. And I, once again, was crushed. Mm-hmm. He said, really? You would just say bye forever, Meg, to have a baby that you're going to raise alone and we could, you know. And anyway, he ended up, I'm sharing this because of what I'm about to say. He ended up praying about it some more and this whole, you know, I'm devastated in my mind because I understand where he's coming from. So I can't be too mad at him for wanting to save a, a baby who, you know, I, w- mm-hmm. I, I agree with him. Yeah. But I also felt like he would just, he's just going to let me go. And he prayed about it and came back and he said, you know, I, I read up on this a little more and I got really convicted in this way. He said, if I'm the husband and you're the wife, Jesus and the church, the church is his bride. And if I'm supposed to be representing the head of the church in our marriage, then I'm representing the head of the church and you're the bride. And God sacrificed his son for the bride. Mm. Wow. Wow. And that um, cut me really deep, not even just for like our situation, but it helped me understand even deeper what God did. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, he was a precious, precious sacrifice. Mm. Um, and I'm not a mom, so I can't imagine right now what it's like to give up your kid. But I think it helped me inch a little closer to that understanding of what's been done for me. The most heart-wrenching thing you can even think of. And that was done for me. And that example is something that is so... Um, it means so much to me now and it's so worth the, you know, week of devastation that I spent thinking my husband will let me die if I have a complication, like he's going to let me go and him coming back to say, you know what, I'm sorry, that's, that's actually not what I would do. And, um, you know, I'm, you're the one that gets saved because this is the representation of marriage. And if I'm really representing marriage the way that God, you know, wants us to, then this is actually what would happen. And that reassurance just meant so much, but it's just once again, another example of him standing so firm on God's word. That man will not budge. He does not budge on God's word. And I know that him being who he is, he would jump into the fire willingly, like cannonball it into (laughs) the fire. If he was given the choice, the chance and that, I'm willing to follow the leader on that one. Like he is, he leads us there all the time. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Mm. He's strong-willed in so many ways and that's frustrating, but (laughs) this way I'm like, stay that way because this is what he leads us into. And I think that's really amazing. And my biggest example of standing firm. Never even thought of that. I know. Never even, I've never pondered that Me either that's really beautiful yeah i've had two aha moments with you because of you in my christian faith and the little time that i've known you two aha moments. and this was the second one because you've you've told me that story before <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And then you just telling that right now just really made it sink home into my brain and my heart. And it just makes me admire your husband so much more mm-hmm. with both of these stories. Yeah. Because we, I'm a, I'm a pretty big proponent of test driving. Mm-hmm. What, how did you say it you in your message? Test, drive. <laughs> test driving that relationships. <laughs> That was funny. And that's so true. People yeah. really do say that. They do. Give a trial run or a test drive, whichever move one it. You've got that you have to move in together first. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I get what I said two things like test drive it. And I don't even remember what the other thing yeah. was that I said. But people are like, well, you test drive a car. Why would you not test drive a relationship? You know, see if it see if it works. Yeah. But we'll sit for a little bit. That's so opposite the concept of. I love this person. I make a commitment. And, and, and you know, what do our vows say? For better or worse, for mm-hmm. richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, you know, till death do us part. We don't have any of those commitments when we're in the middle of a test drive. Right. We only have those commitments when we've signed the document. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, so but, it, mm. but let's, I mean, let's be clear, because you said that you, you were a pretty big proponent of that. I will be honest, and I will tell you, Joe and I have beat the odds because Joe and I were not Christ followers when we got married and we did live mm-hmm. together for a year and a half before we got married and we got married when we were barely 20 years old. I mean, oh. there's a lot of statistics that we have overcome yeah. that we are still together mm-hmm. 33, 33 years later. We're still, we're still together. We've really beat the statistical odds on that. We really, really did. Um, uh, and I came to faith two weeks after we got married and Joe did not come around for like another year. So that was another, like we were not equally yoked. I mean, there was just a lot of things that statistically that were going year. against us. Um, um, so I'm not judging anybody mm-hmm. who's doing, but I'm saying now that I know, yeah. now that I know, I know that that was not biblical because what your argument that you made mm-hmm. to, to your hubby, which is, well, yeah. we're not going to share the marriage bed. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I said to that girl in my youth is, you, the temptation that you will have if yeah. you are in yeah. that same place together day and there's no way you're not going to mm-hmm. move into that type of relationship. Yeah. I just don't think, I don't even know that there's a way humanly possible. And I'm not talking stats there. I'm just talking, right. we know human nature. I just don't know that there's yeah. any way that that's not going to happen. And that's, and that's where it becomes mm-hmm. a guard your heart yeah. kind of and situation. Christian friends too, who we met as new Christians who were living that way together pre-marriage and we were like oh in my mind how much easier is that other christians are doing it yeah right so that standing firm even against not even just worldly culture but if other people who you know who are christians just don't hold that value as high are you still going to hold it to what you know it should be even if other even if they're not in leadership it doesn't matter other christians christians are leaders in everywhere you go you are even if you don't see yourself that way um so what example are you going to be? Exactly. I just, I don't know. I was not living right before I became a Christian. I wasn't either. Mm-mm. I wasn't living Nobody. right after I became a Christian, to be honest <laughs> with you. <Yeah. laughs> until, until I got serious about being a Christian, and then I started really getting right about it. But I wanted to, I know, I know I kind of jumped to another topic, but I wanted to finish off with what our last topic. Are you guys, was there any closing comments on that one or? We're good to move on. Okay. okay. I, didn't, I didn't want to cut anybody off. Good. All right. So test driving relationships. <laughs> Did you ever find that part where it says don't live together? Because 
I mean, Moses or not Moses, Abraham had a whole bunch of wives and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on behind the tents. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Outside of the tents, and around the tents. <laughs> Servants, definitely not inside, but outside the tent. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I think gosh. Solomon had a thousand wives. You know, this is just the Bible's all over the place about this yeah. one. Maybe it, in the new a, covenant, it can be really confusing for 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 a new Christian, especially mm. who doesn't know uh, understand what covenant are we living in. If you don't, you know, it's kind of hard. And you, I think, you do still need discernment to be able to kind of conclude that no. That is for marriage. There are things that are reserved for marriage. And I don't know if I ever ended up finding it, but I ended up just falling in line, honestly. I ended up just believing. And that's probably the time that I learned to pray because I was like, what the heck? Like, why, God, why would you not trust me that I'm not going to, you know, violate the, we're not going to do anything, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know if I ever found it. Mm. That's interesting. I've kind of struggled. I've always struggled with this one, to be honest with you, because, you know, as a man, you know, I love my wife and I love that I'm, you know, monogamous with her and I'm in this relationship with her. And she's cringing as she's listening to this on the couch right now. <laughs> Trust me. She doesn't know where this is going to. <laughs> but biologically, you know, every, about every 48 hours, my and i don't know how it is with women but my sex drive is reset and it's just recharged on fire every 48 hours it's like clockwork <laughs> roughly we I've teach this when we, when we do the marriage retreats we talk about this stuff in okay. the marriage retreat too but yeah for a man basically every 48 hours your sexuality or your libido or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. whatever it's called gets reset and well things get ramped back up again so, and then, you know, they talk about in the Bible to go and populate the world. Okay, well, we got to populate the world because, you know, and the way that we do that was <laughs> like, going. with sexual intercourse. So I've always thought that one. I, in my brain, I'm like, if I'm supposed to be with one woman, one woman all my life, why am I so sexually charged? <laughs> don't look at me like that. What, what are, am I looking at? I don't at you know. Like, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting to see where this is going to land. That's all. Waiting to go where it's, <laughs> where it's going. Uh, so why does why didn't God design me? <laughs> why didn't God design me <laughs> to just be content and not have to go to the gym and worry about my eyes wandering or having any kind of like mm -hmm. lust that drives me crazy every single day? That seems to be like my biggest sin. And yeah. I don't I don't think I'm alone in this one, but no, it seems to be my all. biggest sin. It's like, God, why couldn't you just design me to be look at the one that I'm married to and the and the, the one I'm gonna be with for the well, rest of my life? It's I'm obviously God. so innate if even back in the old testament when I think things were a lot like scarier for people. Like the the consequences from God were a lot more immediate feeling yeah. um a lot more physical um and they still had i mean like we said concubines and so many wives it's obviously something that's innate now can i explain why no but yeah. i'm pulling from what i hear so many you are so not alone in that honestly probably mm -hmm. oh, every know, single man like no um that's just something that is i wish i could explain it or know why as a wife, there's, there's actually a book out there 
there's a book out there called Every Man's Battle. Mm. And and it goes through this whole thing, goes through this whole thing. And, and what, if I recall, because it's been a long time since Joe read it, what it, it kind of goes through what the battle is, why the battle is like that, you know, physically and, and, you know, emotionally or whatever. And then the woman is supposed to go in and like read the, like the summary of the thing at the end of each chapter. And Joe's having me read the summary and I'm like, Men are just gross. Yeah. They're just terrible. We are. Just, oh, man. I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But it really helped me understand a lot about Joe, and it really helped Joe understand a lot about Joe. But it also even talked about, even culturally, because we do this. We do this to our little boys. We have our little boys in a restaurant, and a cute little girl walks in in a cute little dress, and we go, look at that little girl. Is she so cute? And we, we even train them at young ages to... Check that one out. Check, what's she look like? Is she cute? Is she not? We train our little boys even to do that a lot of times. It just happens. And so um, one of the things that the book did that was um, really incredible for Joe is it taught him what it's the bounce technique. And that is if you look over and you see someone or a picture or a billboard that causes you a double take, you bounce. Mm-hmm. You you purposely turn your eyes oh. elsewhere. Um and um, um, so that so that you won't get pulled into that because yeah. we talked about we talked about that in the yeah. message the yeah. vain images right yep. yeah. that's one of the things we talked about in vain images and what can that pull us into vain images can pull us into so I mean from pornography to to sexual sin and all I mean just a million different things mm-hmm. vain images are are they're a window to the soul. Um, but, but that book, I mean, for anybody who's listening, that book is a really good book. And, and I think it, it would help, it helps men understand themselves and not feel so guilty Mm -hmm. about themselves. And it helps women understand their men and not be so frustrated with their men. So in being real on this podcast, and I opened up vulnerable to you, to you guys, to you two, do women deal with that also when you walk into a room, do you notice that there's attractive people in there or do you? Or is that not even a thought in your own heads? I have an answer. What's yours? Mine would be... <laughs> you go be... first. <laughs> no, just mine. Mine would be, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be really honest, I, mine's much less about like who I might find physically attractive, but definitely, I again, on the whole like what's innate for which gender, I do think that some of my womanly innateness can come out if I can see an this is more of on those vain images too, because I get into a spirit of comparison sometimes. If I see that another man who's like, seems really happy in their marriage and is just providing so well for his woman and that will sometimes make me like, I want to like look at that more. And that it, looks it's, attractive It's something to you. that is, is attractive. Yeah. It's less about like physical, what I would maybe per se do with that person. I don't necessarily have those thoughts personally. Um, I know that women do. I personally don't struggle with that so much as the um, fulfilling my needs in a big life way. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. What about you? Yeah. And I think um, I think that's true that different qualities and different men, you are attracted to that quality because it's 
he's a person of you know character or he's yeah. funny or he's really intelligent and when you have a conversation with him he really pulls you into a conversation that is you know like oh this is a really great conversation but um but i i i do think for sure that women absolutely can walk into a restaurant and and happen to see somebody and be like that's a that's a nice looking specimen mm-hmm. right yes. there. Specimen. But <laughs> you're the first yeah. woman that I've asked this question to that's ever admitted it. To me. Oh, seriously? Yeah. But but here where I think it's probably different at least for me is I might look at him and go that's, that looks pretty he looks pretty nice. But that's my last thought. Mm. Like there's no uh, there's no other thought. It's not like I'm going to go sit down at my table and keep glancing over you know, because I, I just want to gaze a little bit longer that my last thought is he's pretty handsome. I mean, got to give it to him. That guy's pretty handsome. That's the last thought that I'm necessarily going to have. I'm not going to have a further thought than that. Well, um, to, to be honest with you, I recognize when there's a good looking guy in the room too. I'll be- <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, okay. Let's to be fair. I probably fixate more on an attractive woman and there's something about women that we're just jealous. You know, we're just it's like, you're just, you're just way too cute. And that's rude to be that cute. I mean, it's just not okay. Kathleen so, says that about me. <laughs> every day, every day I walk by her and I go, dang, she's just so stinking yeah. cute. It just yeah. hurts my feelings. Um, but I think I probably fixate more on her. And maybe there's a part of me that is even wondering, did my husband notice her? Did he notice her? Mm-hmm. Because she's a cutie patootie. Oh, yeah. But... We noticed every single woman in that <laughs> restaurant, to be honest with you. I, and I'm sorry, it just it <sighs> happened. Yeah, I think I'm with you too, Kathleen. And the, it lends more to the overall needs that are being met as I do also look at other women and go, man, I wonder if like, if I notice that she has great features on her body or something, I'm like, oh man, probably looked at that. Like, <laughs> hmm. And men, it hurts women when there are other women who we don't look like. We will never have things that certain other women have yeah. that I know is attractive to my husband. Man, and I see one, I'm like, man, I'm happy for her. I'm not mad at her. But <laughs> I'm, man, I'm not mad at her. Not mad. I'm not mad at her. And a, a lot of people can turn that in, turn the either envy or jealousy into anger and just like, oh, you don't want anything to do with them. I and, and saying things and women women in our in our cattiness go oh she's probably she's probably not a nice person right she's probably Your really like which woman you know <laughs> we yeah and that's just that's just lame it that's is. just like but i think there's something about because we know that men most men are more visual than women so i think there's something about when somebody yeah. comes in and they're ve- very visually appealing that it's, it can almost be threatening, like, mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. husband, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think over time, for me, over time, because Joe and I have been married for so long, I don't, I don't, I don't think I feel, I don't think I have felt that, like, hey, for years and years and years. And probably, to be honest, a lot since he read that book, Every Man's Battle, because he told me when he was reading that book what battles he was specifically going through that I had no idea that he was mm-hmm. going through and what he was doing to change those. And he and, and things changed dramatically. And every That's now good. and then, for a couple of years, I would check back, how you doing? How you doing with that? How mm-hmm. you doing with that? And he'd be like, I'm good, man. I'm solid. And so that security, maybe, yeah. for me, mm-hmm. that made me feel more secure. And a lot of those thoughts really went away. What yep. do you do to stand firm when you are noticing 
somebody in public, let's say use the restaurant, you walk into a restaurant and there's some beautiful woman or whatever, you aren't happy in your marriage. You love your wife. So what do you do to redirect your thoughts? Uh, I get frustrated that I even noticed in the first place. I feel like that I failed failed Mm. God in the first place, but Mm. I bounce a lot. Mm. And I just did this to her yesterday, but I recognize how beautiful my wife is. She is. And I tell her constantly. She is something else. You know, I'm, and she's all giddy when I tell her it's cute. But that brings up another point. What if one of us got into a horrific accident and we were deformed, you know, and we, we weren't attractive anymore. And it's like. For better or for worse, baby. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> That's the way it works. Now, am I going to feel bad? I'm going to be like, man, she doesn't find me attractive anymore. I'm ugly. I'm hideous. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. Or I might be like, this woman loves me no matter what. So, and that's how I feel about her no matter what happens. And, and it's like, I used to hear older people say this all the time, you know, really wrinkly old old people wrinkly <laughs> wrinkly like, old old like he's my, qualifying old old yeah like my grandparents like my wife's so beautiful oh your grandma's so mm. cute you know and i'm like she's really not that cute grandpa <laughs> you know maybe back in the day but as we old man those wrinkles in those age marks even just i'm finding them more and more attractive and i'm like man i just i really love this woman you know she's just incredible. But it's those intrusive thoughts that drive me crazy and it's battling them. And, and I I know I'm not the only one because I talk openly to a lot of men Mm -hmm. about our intrusive thoughts and and we all deal with them. But I'm glad to hear that you all don't deal with those intrusive thoughts very much. But I know women, I know women who do. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's, it's, you know, a, a straight gender thing. Men deal with this and women don't. It's right. just more men deal with this yeah. than women. Um, because yeah. I, I mean, I know several people who would say, you know, I'm struggling, you know, I'm struggling yeah. with, a ge- but it's usually more for a woman. It's usually more for somebody that they're in close proximity to like somebody at work. Mm-hmm. So they found them initially attractive. And then as they got to know them, they saw characteristics that seemed attractive and then they feel a little drawn to that it's you because women it's not as visual for women it's more emotional for women but they will notice the physical first all right so we had a little interruption uh all of our phones started going off all at once so we're cutting back in so we apologize if we left mid-thought i do have something i love it when i get together with women that are free to open or openly talk to me and Mm -hmm. free freely talk to me so one thing that i deal with is Intrusive thoughts, right? And the it seems like for me, the one time that I have the most intrusive thoughts, which this is going to make sense when when I say it, is during worship, at oh. either at Celebrate Recovery or in in the big service. And you all know that I sit front and center because I can't handle the distractions or anything like yeah. that. But I'm telling you what, some of the thoughts that come into my head, it's like. Where in the heck did that come from? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, why am I having those intense thoughts right now? And I realize it's because I'm sitting here worshiping yeah. for 30 minutes and the devil doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of men about this and the intrusive thoughts vary widely across the board. There's people that have intrusive thoughts about being disruptive. There's, there's people that have intrusive thoughts about you know, 
other women in the church or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when I started carrying a gun also, I start you, I started having a lot more thoughts about what would I do if somebody pulled a gun and then mm-hmm. before I know it, I'm in this big shootout and I'm John Wayne and you know, we're at the, we're at the, <laughs> of course okay, you're John Wayne yeah. in this scenario. <laughs> I'm at the okay corral and I saved everybody and I'll just, Gosh. my mind <laughs> runs wild. It's very, it's very, um, what would you call it? It's very dynamic. <laughs> so with that being said, I don't know how much that I'm going to cut out, but with that being said, do y'all have intrusive thoughts like that too? Um, I do every time I go to pray. Praying? Every, every time I go to pray, I think about, you know, oh, I didn't make that phone call. I need to make that phone call. Sure. Or, yeah. or, oh, I forgot to get the mushrooms for dinner tonight. <laughs> or, I mean, just whatever it is. I get, I mean, the whole time and, and I'll do the same thing. Why am I thinking, why am I thinking about this right now? This is driving me crazy. I mean, one of the things I'll do is I'll pray out loud and that, that makes a big difference. That helps a lot. But if I'm just laying in bed and I'm just quietly praying, you know, cause Joe's sleeping or whatever, and I'm just praying, I, I will literally, I will rabbit trail mm-hmm. for five mm-hmm. minutes before I realize I just totally, ra- I was mm-hmm. talking to Jesus and now all of a sudden I'm like imagining what I want to plant in my garden and I'm just so far <laughs> out there. I, I must confess that almost every time I drive by a, a work crew on the road, everything in me wants to just honk my horn really loud and see if they'll jump. <laughs> And I'm like, don't do it. That don't do not it. where I oh thought that I was going, but I was a little nervous. <laughs> but I like your attitude. Oh, my gosh. All right. Okay, Intrus- you? Intrusive um, thoughts. I, I do. It's a problem. It, it really is a problem. Um, mine is like really catastrophic things playing out. I play them all the way out in my mind. Mm. Um, out of left field, just terrible things happening to people that I love, like the worst things that could happen in my life. I don't even know where it comes from. I just wow. imagine it. And that's part of where the question that was like, what if you have to choose between me and the baby type of thing comes from is me just going to the worst possible case scenario. And I play it all the way through, um, to the point where it does come out into my, my daily life. Most of my intrusive thoughts are just catastrophic things happening. Um, not so much to me. I'm not as worried about things happening to me, maybe because I know where I'm going and I know like how I, I can imagine how I would deal with something happening directly to me, but more, um, how would it affect that person? How would it affect my family, the person's family who, you know, who, who got affected by this thing or whatever that I make up in my head. Or I'll take real life catastrophic situations and add lots of things to them. How do you how do you get control of that? I guess um, that's for both of you. How do you get control of that? Yeah, I think it's hard. Uh, a, a lot of times I don't, I'll be honest, I don't remember to pray about that in the moment. Um, it comes great Luis again. I'll usually tell him about it and he goes, have you prayed about it? <laughs> and I'm like, he's so good. No, I haven't prayed about it. I wanted to talk to you about it. He was like, well, I can't do anything about it. I talked to God about it. And he's so right. Um, so usually I get reined in by, by him about that. Um, or I'll just try in that moment. I'm like, 
stop thinking like this. Like just think of something else. And that, I mean, I've been dealing with this for a long time with lots of different thoughts. And I've, again, pre-Christian, like I've gone to therapy about this and gotten more worldly advice of like, just picture something that is actually really good. Like picture something that either feels good and think about that instead. Oh, go to your happy place. Go to your happy place type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, not go to God and ask him for help to take the thought captive, but more like just distract yourself with something else, which doesn't solve the problem. It just distracts me in the moment. Um, but as a Christian, I, you know, I don't know where that is in, in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that it's Paul. I'm not sure actually at all. Um, but the idea of taking the thought captive, like every thought captive. And make it obedient to Christ. Yes. yes. And I think that that is now what I have to stand on when I deal with stuff like that is that really, really applies to a lot of people. I mean, anyone who thinks that like mental health issues aren't addressed in the Bible, that's a huge one that applies to so many things mm-hmm. that like, um, what's the word? Ail us, I guess, in in the mental health um, area is your thoughts just taking you somewhere where you shouldn't be an unhealthy mind. Um, that is really, it's of course it's easier said than done, but that is solved by that biblical principle of taking every single thought captive and I have so many thoughts so but my God is able so we're good nice love it good old Luis uh, Jen tells me that same thing have you prayed about it no I haven't thank you very much I have not <laughs> I will right now thank you yeah Thanks and my problem me. is when I'm praying is when I'm having yeah. intrusive yeah. thoughts oh no I have those intrusive thoughts too I've yeah. been laying when I lay in bed you know I'll go through my day and like Holy Spirit come into my life. Holy Spirit come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I need I need 4.5 grains of black powder to make this bullet travel. And it's like, how did oh I get? God. How did I get to make reloading <laughs> ammunition? They're from? so the thoughts are so random. They are. I love to backtrack though and think of how I got to that final rabbit trail. Oh and it's gosh. like. Oh, I was thinking about this, which made me think about this, which made me think about That's this. That's funny. And then I was thinking about how buff Jesus was. That's how it all started. He must, he was a carpenter. He must have been really buff. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I love oh my, my mind. Only if you guys could live in my mind for like a few minutes, it'd be just, whoa, crazy. I don't think we'd fit in there. You got a lot of thoughts. My, yeah. <laughs> I'm just really glad that nobody else can see into my mind, to be honest with you. I think we all are glad for that, to be, to be fair. Yeah. Well, Joe and I are a lot alike, so that would, you probably have a pretty good idea of what our minds go through. But to answer your question, you know, uh, your husband actually breaks up my intrusive thoughts a lot of the time when I'm worshiping, because uh, one thing that I notice, and I don't know why I notice this so much, but... When I'm up there, I'm trying not to cross my arms because that makes her laugh on stage and I don't want her laughing on a Sunday. That's how he tells me it's time to be over. We need to move on. <laughs> that's done. In CR, yeah, I cross my arms. It's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, so I stick my hands in my pockets, <laughs> but I've got, I've got a certain kind of gum that's in my pockets. I got... I got my work phone that's on one side. I got my personal phone that's on the other side. I have my my car keys are in the other one. It's all my stuff. Mm. It's all the stuff that holds me, you know? 
And so I try to take my hands out and I'm like, what do I do with my hands when I wear shirt? What is it? Do and then I here comes them? Joe. Do I go like this? And then here comes Joe and he's like bebopping around. He's <laughs> always wanting me to dance. Cause I told him fairly, one. I told Joe before he moved up here that he needs to teach me how to dance. And I told you, you should never have asked for that. Yes. Yes. Okay. I did. <laughs> yeah. So now Joe walks up to me and starts kind of get, getting me excited. And then I try to dance and I realize I can't dance, man. This doesn't look good. Uh. So I got to stop. But he breaks me out of my own intrusive thoughts. Oh, gotcha. And then I'm like, my hand's going up. I'm starting to pay attention to the words, yeah. you know, different things that are going on. So before Joe, I just... Yeah. wallowed in my intrusive thoughts <laughs> that, <laughs> I, love, I love that you said that because the whole like and this is something we could have a whole other podcast episode on why do we worship Let's the way that we worship? write down but some ideas your here. hands going up you know i think a lot of people can liken this to this is what you do when you're in surrender if a cop's coming at you, you you're putting your hands up and going ah mm-hmm. like i'm good so it's also a way of just surrendering anything that you we're getting distracted by your hands. Like, I don't know what to do with these hands, so I'm going to put them here. I'm just going to yeah. put them up. Not only are you reaching toward this kind of, we think of God as being like straight north or, you know, up. Um, and not only are you kind of having that as your own bodily imagery, your physical imagery, but it's also just telling your body, which will inform your thoughts. Like, I don't, it's out of my hands. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's I don't good. have anything to be distracted by. And when your hands are empty and your hands are up, then you're just kind of like letting that get fall. I know Joe is also a fan of that kind of imagery. You know, he's talked to me before about like, if you're receiving something, maybe your hands are up and then, um, or maybe you're imagining all these things and then you flip them and you drop it and you're just, that's it. And it's kind of a way of mm-hmm. bodily, you know, and I wouldn't really think to like picture that or have to do that, but I could see that being really helpful mm-hmm. for somebody to physically practice that. So maybe that's something you could do next time you feel all the things in your pockets. I'll watch you from stage go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't make you laugh for sure. I also also like, um, because I've I've taught before on the surrender, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the surrender. But it's also, if you have a little three-year-old and they need comfort or love or... They oh. come to you, right? I've heard you yeah. say that. Allison, like Allison used to say, Allison is my youngest daughter, and she used she used to do this, and she'd say, hold to me, mommy, hold to me. Aww. And I would, you know, and, and so I, I think of that, like there's yeah. times, it might not even be a moment necessarily of surrender, but it's a, okay, geez, I need you to hold yeah. me today, you know, because... Um, it's, it's been a week or it's been a day or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Or sometimes there's just such an intimacy yeah. in a song in the, in the moment during worship that you're just like, oh, we got to hug this out, Jesus, yeah. you know? And so there's, you know, there's that imagery too. Yeah. But I, I do think that there's something, what you just said about, there's something very um, real about us taking some kind of physical element and participating in, in worship worship or surrender or whatever yeah. you know it might be i go to the christian comedian the, all the time it's like mm. carrying the tv yeah. we're carrying the <laughs> with, tv with the worship let's musical. carry the baby let's get them up there a little bit we're carrying the baby up and here the, uh, touchdown and then we're gonna go up to the touchdown goal. and we're gonna go to the field goal here we go this is the proper yeah, yeah. I love and that. then yeah. there's like the lion king one like oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, that's right <laughs> that's hilarious that i go to 
when we had that little break and all of our phones went off for a moment, Mike yeah. mentioned, you were like, we haven't really talked about the message all that much. Well, to bring us back to the message, one of Kathleen's last points in her message uh, last weekend was that we're not standing alone when we're standing firm. Jesus is standing with mm. us. And I just want us to chat a little bit before we wrap up about that idea of when you're in the fire. So you're, I mean, these Daniel and his friends were getting burned in a literal furnace. I'm not taking this like it, like it's metaphorical imagery. I'm taking this as a true story. They were burning alive, right? Of course, we know they, that they, they should have been burning they alive. Should been, they yeah. should have been burning to death, but they were alive in the in the furnace. A furnace so hot that it killed three three of the guards. Just for I don't know how many it. guards there were, yeah. but I, I would presume three because there were three guys. I have the little message here. Yeah, but even just trying to get them into the door. Yeah, yeah. the guards died. Right, just for standing near it. Mm-hmm. And so I want us to chat through what. How do we apply that the imagery that we can take from this true story that they saw the fourth man in there, but they only put three in there. So when they, how does that um, connect to when we're the example? Are there people looking at us standing firm and seeing the fourth man? Are they seeing Jesus in our actions? Oh, that's good. How, mm. how does that look to people? Are we doing it in a way that's like, I'm standing firm because I think this is right. Or are we standing firm and showing that there's another man for the reason that we're standing that way? You guys want to chat about that? Dang, that's a big one. I guess I could go and give Kathleen a second to catch it. And then we'll go over to her. Uh, That's a great point. It's really good. If I am, you know, standing firm in the fire, is that showing Jesus to other people that... You know, it's a whole other thing that I never even thought about when I heard Kathleen's message. I always, always look at it selfishly. Jesus is in there with me, like footprints in the sand. Mm-hmm. When I couldn't carry myself, Jesus yeah. walked me through it. Those are his footprints. That's how I always think about something. Jesus is constantly saving me from yeah. myself. Or whenever I've been really scared in my life, like being thrown into a fire, the only comfort no humanly person could comfort me other than Jesus has always been there. He's the only bridge that I haven't burnt. He's the only one that has loved me through everything that I've done bad to everybody in my life. So that's where I go with it. But I like what you're talking about. Does do people see Jesus in there? Um, I mean, I just think it's really interesting because I do think as as someone who has been a follower for a long time, there's been many times where I've looked at somebody else and their experiences that they're going through, which are really, really hard. Or, you know, we've had some of our own experiences that we would never have imagined that we would have to walk through. And watching other people walk through stuff, there's times where I'm like, I I know how you're doing it. I know that it's Jesus in you, but oh my gosh, you're like, you're, you're making it through this and you know, and I've, and I've said about people who, who don't know the Lord, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do mm-hmm. some of the catastrophic things that can happen in our lives, um, circumstances or by choice or whatever. Um, I just don't know how people do it without the Lord. And so when I watch somebody else walk through something that's really difficult, um, I really can see 
not physically, but I can, I can discern Jesus is in the middle of that with them. Otherwise they, the grace that they're walking in or the faith that they have, that it's going to be okay. And, and it doesn't look okay, and it doesn't seem like it's okay, and it's not the decisions that I would make, but it's going to be okay. And, um, you know, I we have walked through a few of those things even on our own that um, we had a particular season that was really, really difficult. It was really difficult. And it was like every time you thought, okay, we're, we may, I think we made it through that, it, something else, boom. And it was just... I was just like kicking us when we were down. And um, I, I had to say to the Lord, I know that you are here. Even when I can't see, there's times I don't see, I can't see you. I can't see what you're doing. I don't agree with what's happening right now. I believe that you, by by miracles or by um, rescue, could make this different, but you're not making it different, and I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. But I know that you're here because you're the only reason I'm alive. Because if it wasn't for the hope I had in you, I would have finished this myself. Mm-hmm. And that's honest. Yeah, I would have taken care of I would be done by now. I can't. So God, I I may not be able to see you. I may not be able to feel you. I may not be able to hear you. I may be really mad at you. But if there's anything that I will do, I will trust you. Mm -hmm. I will trust, period. I will trust you. And, um, And if I didn't have that trust in him, um, and part of that trust being he has to be here with me, because in his absence, I'd be done. Um, and so that's how I know if I'm going through the fire, he's, he's standing next to me. Because otherwise, there are many circumstances that we have walked through that I would have been burned up. That is the that strength scene. and courage of Daniel and his friends who said, my God is able. The translations, whichever one you read, one of them says, my God can save us. Another one, my God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, doesn't. it's the belief, even if he doesn't, I'm not budging. It's the belief that he can, but even if he doesn't, he, he's, he's sovereign. He can choose not to pull me out of this in a way that I can see, but I just trust in that you going through that season looks to me. I can see the fourth man in this situation because you're putting his name on it. And that brings us back to what we were talking about last week from Daniel four, um, when Joe spoke and one of his main points was how do we kind of combat the Babylon mentality is to acknowledge God. It's defeating or, you know, mm-hmm. trying to slay pride by acknowledging God and what oh, we do. Good. Yeah. And that I think is our connection point here to at least these two chapters in the book of Daniel is when we acknowledge him, we can see him and other people can see him in our catastrophes and those situations that are so catastrophic my family went through something really catastrophic a few years ago and I was so thankful to have like another family member in there who could just come to me and say, I'm so glad we have Jesus. Imagine going through this without Jesus. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that? And that to me, I know that other family members who 
you know, don't believe the same things at the very least could look on and there's no mistake who I worship, who I serve and who I relied on the whole time. It's good. It, it sounds like that is the same situation that you're acknowledging him in that he is able. And even if he doesn't do something that you can see to rescue you or save you from that situation, he, he is, he is going to be there. Yeah. And to me, that's being rescued because if my God God who created the universe can be with me, one of one just tiny little speck on the universe, me, then he can do anything. Yeah. How many times have we been in the fire not seeing Jesus right there next to us? You know, and other people could clearly see Jesus standing mm -hmm. there next to us and we're oblivious to it. Mm. This has been great conversation. I think we got a lot of practical applications yeah. out of this. And I love that you two both have opened up to me so much and you even caused me to open up. I'm a pretty open book anyways, but I think it's about reaching that time where we get to the awkward point of our podcast. How to end. Yeah. That's, the ending. You never know how to end. <laughs> I don't know how to end this thing. So we just they, sign off. <laughs> no, no M's, no M's this week. Thank you for watching. And if you have any comments, make sure to leave them down below. And if you want to send us any ideas, it's open-ended podcast. Open. Open-ended. No dashes. It's open-ended at eurekafacecenter.org. You can email us there. And then reach out on social media. Let us know. We appreciate everybody that's been giving us support. The podcast has really taken off. We love it. Yeah. So... I hope you guys enjoyed this one. And Pastor Kathleen, I loved having you on. You're much better than Pastor Joe was <laughs> in episode two. I'm going to tell him that when I get home. But maybe I'll wait until he's cooking me dinner right now. So oh, maybe yeah. I'll wait until okay. after dinner and then I'll tell Sounds him. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah no. thank you, Kathleen. Yep. We love having you on and love be having you a part of the church. I just, thank I, you. I'm just adoring the fact that you guys are in my life and really good friends and yeah. just growing and growing and growing. So. With that, how do we end? Bye. Until next time. Have a great day. Bye.